recording. So um, another episode, two days in a row. We're, uh, Justin at the beginning of every episode. Another so we're, episode. we're back for another episode. <laughs> yep. I got to work on my intros and my exits. You know What's what I mean? up, YouTubers? Yeah. <laughs> I can't make myself do that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So we are, we got Mandy Gunasakara and Surya, her husband over here that's wanting to stay off camera. Sorry, man. Lurking um, in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the Wizard of Oz, man. He's good he at is. that. Yeah. He is. He, that's good. That's really good. It's a nice way to put it, too. I mean, that's what he is. I've known you guys now for a couple of years coming up. And uh, I mean, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. We'll get into kind of all the different areas where you guys have gotten involved and you in particular and kind of what your political future is. And but it, kind of tell us a whole background, if you can, on who you are, where you came from and kind of we'll get into the forward looking stuff. Yeah, you want the beginning? I'm a yeah. military brat. So okay. yeah, my dad, uh, active duty Air Force, grew up moving all around the Southeast mostly and then abroad in Korea for fourth and fifth grade. But I'm from Mississippi. So all my family is lives in Decatur, Mississippi. Mm. And I ended up becoming very interested in the intersection of news and politics. And so- Like I, how old were you? I was probably- I was 10th grade mm -hmm. because there's this, um, it's not a beauty pageant, but it's called, <laughs> um, it's a junior miss. And so I was gearing up for that my junior year. And I remember having these long conversations with my mom, reading articles and then talking about it with her. And I became very interested in who writes these articles oh. and why do they say these things and what's behind it? How do you cultivate that perspective on a variety of issues? Not just to be able to talk about it on stage in front of lots of people, mm -hmm. but um, deeper than that. So I got very interested and I studied communications undergrad at Mississippi College. And then I went to Ole Miss for law school where I met the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and uh, and then we ended up going to DC. I had done internships uh -huh. during undergrad and I got very interested and attracted to this energy that's in Washington, DC. I mean, it truly is the hub of the democratic process. And we can talk about if it's broken or not or corrupted or co-opted. And it is in all sorts of different ways. But it still works. And if you're willing to meaningfully engage in it, you can make a big difference. And I was very attracted to that. Did and you go so, to law school with the intention of going into politics? I Yeah, I did. Okay. With, with the intention of going to Washington, D.C. Okay. And actually, mm -hmm. it was really odd for me to say that. I remember people asking, because most people go to law school to <laughs> yeah. practice law. Well, I did. I had some people in law school that were like, like they'd have us intro ourselves sometimes in the class and they'd be like, you know, I'm so-and-so. I'm going to be a congressman in five years. And I was always like, what? Dang, dude, I'm trying to figure out like what class I'm taking next semester. I have no idea what I wanted to do. So that's I, I wish I would have been more like focused on what I wanted to do, but I I had no freaking idea, man. Is the Wizard of Oz a lawyer too? Am I the only one in the room who's not a lawyer? Yes. Yeah. You're totally outnumbered. Wow. Three man. to one. Yeah. Three, man. two, one. You know what I don't have? Student loan student debt. Loan debt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Me neither. Oh, I got a what? shit ton of it. Uh, so, wait, is it. So is there a special kind of law that you study if you're going to go into politics? No. Or is it just general law with no kind of like super specialization? I don't even know if that's no. I don't know anything about law school. It, law school is like law school. You you can take certain elective classes, but you yeah. go, you're go. you the guest. I'll, I'll stay out of it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I'm curious about your, your experience as well. I ended up taking classes from the professors I liked because – I did the mm. best mm -hmm. and I was really interested. Probably the there's a class called administrative law. And what I ultimately ended up going into when I was working at the Environmental Protection Agency, it explains how laws are passed and then that authority is passed on to agencies like EPA or Department of Energy or Interior, how that law is interpreted, turned into regulations, and then the relative goals are supposed to be fulfilled. And so there's a class called administrative law mm -hmm. um, and then ocean and coastal law, which gets into some of the environmental laws that ended up being a big part of what I was working on, both in the Senate and then obviously at EPA. And so I took those classes, but I really only took them because I had great relationships with the professors and I ended up being a research assistant to mm -hmm. one of them. And um, that's how I approached law school. Oh, mine was way different. <laughs> Mine was like, survive and get out of here as soon as possible. <laughs> like, who has the highest GPA average? I'm taking it. Uh, that, that, was, that was it. That was the extent of my research was, I want the highest GPA I can get. Where'd you go to school? The easiest way I could get. 
South Texas here in Houston. Okay. See, I also went to Ole Miss and I went mm. to my undergraduate was at Mississippi College, which is um, it's a Christian school. And so it's uh, it's a little more structured than most mm. college experiences. Like I lived on campus all four years. I'd never lived in an apartment and had that type of lifestyle in my undergraduate years. So then when I got to college, um, it was a little bit more freedom. Um, a little bit more independent living. And then I happen to be in Oxford, Mississippi. And one thing we do really well are social events. <laughs> and so I, I just approached law school. I wasn't too concerned about being the top percentage mm -hmm. of my class. I knew I wasn't going to be competing for those law firms. And they look at that. I knew I wanted to go to Capitol Hill. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I still thought I may want to go and be in the journalism space. And part of going to law school was to figure out a better way to break down the issues and then mm. be able to communicate that. So that was my initial goal. But um, I knew where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to be on Capitol Hill doing something and making a difference, but I wasn't quite sure what that difference was ultimately going to be. So I had a very casual approach to mm. law school. Um, and I had I had an amazing time. I met my husband. I, we met some of our best friends um, that we still keep up with, and we had the Grove to go to every other Saturday when we had home football games. So I had a fun time. And when I, a lot of people will ask, should I go to law school? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, here's here's my biased view because of this great experience I had. That certainly isn't everyone. Some people, they, it's a grind yeah. and it's not pleasant. So yeah. what was the first thing you did after law school? After law school, mm -hmm. I worked for Lululemon. Okay. Um, it was 2010 and it was not a great year to be a newly minted attorney. Mm. And we moved, I had gotten barred in Mississippi because okay. you can take the bar early if you only take mm. pass fail credits, which I did my last semester because I'd taken some summer classes. So I had passed the bar in Mississippi. Um, the Wizard of Oz is from Colorado. So we wanted to get barred in Colorado as well. So we, we moved out to some friends of ours who had decided to travel the coast in one of those pop-top VW vans. Oh, yeah. So they nice. left their home empty and we had no money. And so we were living in downtown Denver and I was working at Cherry Creek Lululemon nice. and uh, studying for the Colorado bar. Mm -hmm. And then there was there was a weekend, it was a Labor Day weekend where we were deciding whether or not we were going to try and live in Denver. And it was really hard because I didn't have any connections mm -hmm. work-wise or other. Um, or we were going to go to D.C. and I'd always wanted to do that. So we we packed up um, our 1994 Montero Mitsubishi Sport and um, the little amount of belongings we had and drove up to D.C. And that was over a weekend. And then I worked at the Lululemon at Georgetown there and I interned. I had to intern again. Um, and that was uh, that was I felt because I'd done internships in the past that I I didn't have to do was it again. Past, uh, yeah. I was past it. And um, no, I mean, it was a it was a really good lesson, mm. a heavy dose of humility. Mm. Um, maybe you're a newly minted attorney, but you still got to yeah. find a way into this really tough market. Were you interning at an office, mm -hmm. like an administrative office, or were you at a congressman? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so um, who was it? Mike Kaufman. Okay. So mm -hmm. he represents, or he did, previously represented um, Colorado outside of Denver area. Mm -hmm. Now he's the mayor. He's still the mayor of Aurora. Is that right? Yeah. So he's still the mayor of Aurora, still in politics, mm -hmm. but I worked for him. And um, do you like apply for these kind of jobs, like, or is it just like, hey, you knew this guy and he knew you were? Uh... There's all different ways. Okay. And when you go to DC and you ask someone, "How did you get your I'm job?" Ask a lot, so if, if anybody's listening knows a lot about politics, I'm gonna ask a lot of stupid questions about <laughs> politics. <laughs> I don't it? know anything about politics. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's <laughs> um, you know, and there's policy in politics too. Mm, so yeah. policy is like you know the the, the nerd realms where I'm usually. At and then the <laughs> politics is where you inject money into the equation, and it's all about raising funds and getting elected. Um, and having a combination of both makes you, I think, a very good substantive candidate. Um, but I started in the policy space, and really, you can apply, you can go meet. At that time, people were still going around knocking on doors and passing out hard print resumes. Mm. Um, so there's all sorts of ways, there's no wrong way. Um, it's just engaging and talking to people. And what I said, I told them, I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I will be, you can call me a staff assistant. You can call me what I wanted to be was a counsel, mm -hmm. um, but it was going to take a while to get there. Yeah. And so just just showing up, being ready to work hard. And again, if you have to serve coffee or make copies, you know, that's very yeah, humbling. You grind to do it. Yeah, right, you just yeah. got to do it. Get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to meet the right people. That's the other thing in DC. You will know that you're on the right path because you'll meet some someone and you can just tell, mm -hmm. like, 
we're we're very similar and they'll see your potential and right. they'll appreciate it versus you meet other people that will see your potential and they'll see it as um as a challenge to mm. whatever their little fiefdom is you have these weird mm. competitive um forces all throughout dc but it is what it is and you just get yeah. out there and do your with, best with those kind of roles like what is the like what's the career path kind of progression right so you come in as an intern and then you become a staff assistant okay what does um, a staff assistant do so as you just you support everyone. You, you do. You do <laughs> whatever you do. Whatever is asked. So, so if you're and I, I ended up being a staff assistant at a committee in a Senate office, which is different than being a staff assistant in a personal office. So, the personal office, you work directly for the member, whether it's the congressman or the senator. And if you're in that role, you're doing. You're you're what in Lululemon world we called the DOFI, the director of first impression. So when someone walks in the door, you mm -hmm. need to be, hi, welcome to Congressman so-and-so's office. We're so happy you're here. Please fill out this information. So you get their contact information. You can stay in touch. You've probably set up a tour. Sometimes you're a tour guide. I gave a really <laughs> yeah. good tour to this day, to the Capitol. I actually <laughs> loved it because the history is really amazing. And the artwork, I mean, there's just nothing like the U.S. Capitol. So is that the most senior position working for a congressman? No. No? no that's no. like the, that's yeah, the bottom. That's the low end. That's yeah. the low. That's, you're only higher than an intern. And the really only differentiating, okay. differentiating factor is you have, it used to be if you're an intern, you had the red badge of shame, as they called it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then they, they've changed the color since. And then you got a real badge and you got at the time when I first started, you got a blackberry. So they changed the color to not hurt anybody's feelings. They, probably, that I that that happened <laughs> that happened years ago. Um, but it used to be pretty stark <laughs> when you were like, you could just tell it was like the intern with the red badge. Um, but that's like at the time, it was I want a real badge, I want a phone, um, and then you get like a real email address with mm. your name instead of intern one at kaufman.house.gov. I got a question too. Yeah. How do the the DC <laughs> folks? talk about like the district folks, the DC staffers, how do they view the the district staffers? Oh, like in the state, the district yeah. staffer? Well, it depends on the office. And a mm -hmm. lot of that is driven by the member. So yeah. I've been in offices where sometimes there can be weird competition. The mm -hmm. district staff feels like the DC staff thinks they're all too important, which yeah. is often the case. I mean, the problem with DC, I always say that, is everyone thinks they're a VIP. Right. And they're right. really not. Yeah, um, they, but they do. Mean, you know? I worked for a district office for Kevin Brady for a couple of years. And it always, I mean, there were people out there were good. I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to talk shit on anybody, but it did always have that kind of dynamic of like, well, you guys are district people. And it's like, we're actually talking to the constituents that vote for you. The this, voters. This yeah, may be a stupid yeah. question, but what the hell is the difference between these two? Oh, <laughs> like the, the district <laughs> office is going to be in their district where like their home state. Right? Okay. In their area. Okay. Their, their constituency. Yep. The DC office is obviously in DC, but it's I in worked DC. the district office. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a scheduler, but it, it's like, it was literally whatever you are supposed to do. Like it's whatever that day dictates. And yeah. The reason I ask is because we had for Empower, we had Ted Cruz come and mm -hmm. the second or the, the day after we had put together a little meet up with a bunch of miners and stuff. And he walks in with his entourage of like a billion people. And I was like, what do they all do? What's everyone do? Well, is, see, what these are good questions do? like, too. Yeah. What are they doing? Seriously. Well, so in, in, in those instances. Like, why do we need 20 people with one dude coming in? And they're not all security. Yeah, let me okay, let me explain yeah. the hierarchy. Okay. Yeah, because so, I, I do think that's important because I, that's that's like a personal office. Mm -hmm. Then there's committee office. I was in a committee, so you're supporting the work of the committee. So it truly is policy focused. And when you're the staff assistant, you're either doing and you can be elevated to the research assistant, which is the next step, which I was um, within a matter of months. <laughs> and um, but you you're just you're researching, finding information. Um, I at the time was working on labor issues. And so I looked up these old floor statements from Senator John F. Kennedy. Oh, it was wow. really interesting. And mm. if you ever want to see how cyclical arguments and issues are through Congress and how, yeah, we think it's dysfunctional now, but that's nothing new. And it's interesting to see how people dealt with it. Our only difference is we have all this technology with social media that brings in a new dynamic. But the things we are literally saying are very much mm. the same. Um, there's just, it, it's interesting and it's fun to read this in, in black and white, but you've got, the assistant level, then you you can be, if you're in the Senate, um, before you become a legislative assistant, maybe you become a legislative aide, which is somebody who supports a legislative assistant. And the assistants are assigned specific categories of which they are responsible for developing the policies, the response, um, being the go-to expert. And if you're in a House office, you have like 10 issues because you're spread thin. 
Um, if you're in the Senate, you're more specialized. You probably have three or four. Mm. Um, and then from there, there's a little legislative director that oversees all the legislative assistance and basically is in charge of the policy portfolio. And then you have people, you have sort of the support structure, the the schedulers. The schedulers mm. are some of the most important people because those are the gatekeepers that will either give you access or not to the member. So rule of thumb, always be nice to the schedulers. Mm -hmm. Like really, um, I mean, you should be nice to everyone. That gets you really <laughs> far in DC. Um, but there's that. And then you have people who sit in this role that's part political, which means they can help the member raise money. Um, and then it's part policy. So they know what's going on in the office and then on the floor. You also have people who need to know about parliamentarian process and what's going on. And so those people are your deputy chief of staff and your chief of staff typically. And there's there's versions of that. Mm. Um, but then the committee side, you get even more specialized, which is where I ultimately ended up being and which is how I ended up becoming very specialized in the realm of environmental policy, environmental law, and specifically the Clean Air Act. Has it always been? I'm like, I'm a big fan of Hamilton, right? And so I'm thinking like back in the day, <laughs> oh, no. you know, like Alexander Hamilton just did all this stuff himself, right? As with everybody else in, in the government. But now it's like for one person, it's like you have this massive team. Is it like it's that's just how it has to go these days? That's I mean, how it so, is. Yeah. It feels, yeah. I mean, it's not the same. At least from the outside looking in, it's like, yeah, no, it doesn't feel at all feel like probably Alexander Hamilton, how they had it. <laughs> well, they didn't, I mean, they didn't yeah. have staff, yeah. you know, yeah, to the, they had like a driver uh, right. for their carriage to the extent they had one, <laughs> you know, they're very, they're very, but it, it is, it's mind boggling to think about what they did and how impactful and how lasting you think about the Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence and then some of the initial bills of rights and well, all those conversations and they yeah. were just doing it. But you also think about how they grew up, um, you know, they were, they were, they were this class, um, there was very much this, it wasn't written in stone, but this class system where they had access to this education mm. that now anyone who wants to have access can find a way. But mm -hmm. back then it was very much, um, it was very limited. Yeah. Speaking of Hamilton though, he wrote like what, how many of the Federalist Papers? Like a ton of them. And he was like 20 something. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. You think impressive. about their age yeah. too. Like My they were all golly. pretty young. But they lived to be like 33. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like that was <laughs> like wooden teeth and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah. I'd be in wooden teeth status <laughs> right now. Yeah. I, I would totally be there. So, what is your, obviously, this is a Bitcoin podcast. Yeah. What is your, how did you first get introduced to Bitcoin? And let's walk through your journey yeah. with that and then kind of get what you're doing after that. So, well, well real oh, quick, one more. Yeah. Because you did end up becoming the chief of staff of the EPA for the director of the EPA, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. it, Administrator, it, it, I guess. But that's a pretty big yeah. deal. So you didn't really talk about that. But what, it, like during that time frame, did any of the Bitcoin stuff come up? No. At all? Um, well, actually, I had been, I'd been told about blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about Chief of Staff at EPA. So it was at the time of 14,000 person mm -hmm. federal employee agency. And I was in charge of over overseeing there's 11 to 12 offices, depending on how you count, housed in DC in the federal building. And then we have 10 regional offices mm. all across the country. And so it was a combination of knowing what was going on in all of those areas and making sure that our agenda we had set out at the start of the Trump administration, which was a big shift. Again, um, I could go a little bit into the history, but the, the role of the US Environmental Protection Agency, the mission is to protect public health and the environment. And since its true establishment in 1970 under President Nixon, mm -hmm. there was a pretty strong commitment to that. And during the, I'm fast forwarding through a fair amount, but just for brevity's sake, during the uh, Obama administration years, they really turned the EPA into the Democrats' economic policy office as defined by climate change, um, climate change mechanisms, climate change policies. And so EPA had been transformed into this agency where they're trying to do things upon which Congress had never granted them authority and never thought that they would mm -hmm. be considering. So when we came in, we wanted to pair that back. We had it back to basics was our, our branded mission, but it truly was getting the air office to focus on air emissions, water right. office, water and all that, and then, and then fixing it from there. But it was obviously very controversial. If anyone Googles my name from that time, I mean, you would just think that I've done all sorts of things to pillage the earth um, <laughs> and and kill all sorts of unsuspecting people. We, we know it wasn't you. That was Surya. It was, <laughs> yeah. That's the Wizard of Oz again. <laughs> um, but no. But but what we actually did, if you look at the if you look at the facts and the figures, mm. 
we made significant improvements. And if just a little point of comparison, when the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is off trying to be um, the economic driver of the Democrat Party and, quote unquote, saving the world from climate change, which is not in their mission, Mm -hmm. and they don't have the authority to do that, they actually ignore addressing very tangible problems that create Mm -hmm. harm today, like Flint, Michigan water crisis, the Gold King mine spill. That occurred because resources at EPA were being shifted to chase after that big blue blue sky thing of which mm-hmm. they were not equipped instead of focusing on their core mission. So we focused on our core mission. Um, we actually drove, drove the ball in the right direction in terms of cleaning up air, cleaning up water, and going into one of, one of the best programs nobody ever hears about unless they're in the environmental space is our Superfund program. Mm-hmm. And it's basically going into areas that have been plagued by legacy pollution And it's a major problem. It's usually very complicated. It involves um, remnants of an industrial past where no one really complied or thought about standards. You can go in and uh, we reformed the program so that they were actually making decisions to clean these projects up. In the past, it had just become a place where good ideas went to die and were just perpetually in Mm. the state of process. So we fixed that. And it was so wonderful to see because if you can address legacy pollution in a meaningful way, you literally change the trajectory mm. of an entire community that for generations has just been dealing in the closest version of abject poverty that we have in this country. Right. So it, it really is. So we did all of that. Um, and it was it was a combination of making sure that was on track, knowing what was going on, our 11 offices, our regional offices, and then... I work directly for the administrator. So if we if we had to go to the White House um, and, you know, a cabinet meeting or or whoever, whatever was going on, uh, making sure he was prepped and ready to go and then sometimes going with mm-hmm. him. And the benefit for me is because I, I grew up, so to speak, in our Office of Air and Radiation, which oversees the implementation of the Clean Air Act and a few other um, statutes, is that I could I could often be a substantive policy role in addition to making sure he was saying hello to the right person, mm-hmm. follow the decorum, um, prepped and ready as to what the scope of the conversation was going to be and bringing in other team members to supplement. So with obviously the EPA, and jumping back to Bitcoin stuff, but um, they play a major role in the permitting process, mm-hmm. the air permitting process all over the, the states. I know most states have a DEQ type of agency, so yeah. but they're, they're <clears throat> implementing like EPA guidelines and policies, right? Yeah. Um, so that does have a big impact on Bitcoin mining, especially the off-grid stuff. Um, when, because you were in there from 2016 to... 2017 20, to 2018. I took a break in 2019 and then mm-hmm. came back as chief of staff in 2020. In 20, okay. So during that time, when was the first time you heard Bitcoin mining come up during your time? Never? I, I didn't. When I really? was there, it didn't. I learned about blockchain because um, some of our transportation guys... There's, there's an office mm-hmm. within an office. It's very bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Called Bitcoin, the office of, not blockchain, man. Yeah. Just, no, I know. Yeah, Bitcoin okay. never all came right, up. Right, I good. only ever learned, I learned about blockchain technology mm-hmm. um, because I had to go speak at this, this forward-looking event. Um, and they wanted me to talk about the potential for blockchain. And they were, they were looking at it in terms of the regulatory state. And so I had one of our transportation gurus come in mm. and explain to me um, about this decentralized ledger. And uh, anyway, that was that was it. So mm. so I didn't hear anything. Fast forward to summer of 2021, right before right. I met you. Yeah. Um, because it all I met you early, yeah, early was, into yeah. in my um, yeah foray into Bitcoin. <laughs> my former boss, the first administrator of EPA, Scott Pruitt. He called and he had heard, um, he was familiar with Bitcoin and we have this relationship where when he has a good idea and he just wants to bounce it off of someone, he'll call me and we'll talk it through. And he wanted me, he had this idea to set up a company um, to basically procure uh, power purchase agreements that we could, because of the network we had with the utilities mm-hmm. um, and the the energy generators to create um, good PPAs and then sell those to people in the Bitcoin right, space. Right. And so he, he called and Surya was in the car. We had him on, you know, in the car and the kids are in the back and he's telling me about Bitcoin. And I was just kind of like, I don't know this, this, I just started a consulting practice and I just, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to do all these things. We're trying to figure out, out our life. We are building a house We're all this kind of stuff. I was like, you want me to start a business <laughs> on top of all this in this area about this thing that I know very little about. So then, um, 
you know, two and a half weeks later, I listened to every single podcast, YouTube um, explainer of Mm -hmm. what is Bitcoin, why it matters, what is the potential. And I had also called my father-in-law. He was the first call I made after I hung up with my former boss. And I asked, he's a hedge fund investor and does a little Mm -hmm. bit of um, VC. um, And he's always on the cutting edge of technological opportunities because that's how he does a lot of his investments. And he may be the nicest dude I've ever met in my (laughs) life. He's like the the nicest guy. I I'm shocked that that he hung out with this dude. I'm playing Syria. Their family said so they yeah. didn't have a choice. Yeah, they don't have a choice. <laughs> you know? But you know, he is like, such a nice dude. He's uh, yeah, he's he's so wonderful. Um, and so I called Brett's his name. I called Brett and I asked him. I was like, Have you heard about Bitcoin? And and what do you think? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I think there's some potential there. Hmm. That's like all he said. And so I went down this deep rabbit hole and learned all that I could and uh, just started talking to people. And one of the early people I talked to as well was Tyler Lindholm. I was going to bring Tyler up because yeah. you said you were you gave really good tours. You, what you do? You and Hannah gave me a great tour when I was out there. That's right. The best capital tour I've ever. I can't imagine somebody having a better capital tour than I got from Tyler. I can't talk I would, about how cool that. it was, but man, that. it was awesome. It was like midnight too. He you you some cool. secret stuff or what? Oh yeah, dude. I'll tell you when this is over. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Go ahead, though. My so, bad. So Tyler Lindholm, um, because we had good relationship with Senator Lummis and her staff, and um, he said, hey, there's two companies you should connect with in Wyoming, and I forget the other company, but one of them was Jay. Right. And so we reached out to Jay Energy, and yeah. I was like, is it Jai? <laughs> no, J-A-I? I, really, really I don't awesome know. Do it was a cheer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we met, um, we met you, and we met Ryan, mm-hmm. and then it, it went from there. And really... Um, I'm fast forwarding a lot. And so we, we can break this down if you want to, but, um, I got really into it, started meeting folks. And I also, one of my other jobs is I'm a backup host for Mississippi's only statewide conservative radio show, Super Talk Mississippi. And part of me coming on board was to bring in different voices about different issues that Mississippians may or may not have been exposed to. And so, um, my husband had connected with Dennis Porter and we invited him to come on to talk about Bitcoin. And um, he came on. We had this really great interview. And there was just something about it where it's like, we need to follow up and like connect with him. There's something bubbling underneath the surface here. And we got together and talked about how we saw the landscape with Bitcoin, Bitcoin policy, how we saw that there was a gap between what's going on in the federal space and the state and local space. There was a, there was a big need and opportunity for someone to engage and try to push policies that benefit the growth and expansion of Bitcoin. We'd had the same thoughts, he out in Washington, us in Mississippi. And so we combined forces and a few months later, we had come up with Satoshi Action Fund. And so we launched that and hit the ground running. Yeah, so tell us about that. Like what what the goal of Satoshi Action Fund and kind of where you guys plan to go in the future and how it's gonna impact a lot of the policy stuff around Bitcoin. Obviously, Bitcoin, there's not a lot of policy governing any of this stuff right, right. now. And so that's part of why I think the, what you guys are doing is important, was getting the narrative out and making sure that we guide the legislation that is inevitably going to come to be friendly to the industry and kind of embrace like the growth of it. So, yeah, tell us about Satoshi Action Fund. Yeah, it's to educate, inform, and build allies along the process. And what we're trying to do is to to – Create more Texas and less mm-hmm. New York is how right, we say right. it. Because what's happened in New York is you've had a lot of misinformation land in the laps of people who are making decisions that are of significant consequence to whether or not Bitcoin can grow or not in New York. And that's the permitting. it. This is where it all right. comes for full circle in some respects. And so we saw what was going on there. We, we, we see what was going on in Wyoming and in Texas. And backing up just a little bit, in Mississippi – we were really interested because of our investments in Jay, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to expand Bitcoin elsewhere. It made so much sense to bring an industry like that to a place like Mississippi, where I, I truly think it is it is a key for rural revitalization. And anyone who's ever heard me talk, I always bring it up because all you need is um, reliable, affordable mm-hmm. energy. You need access to Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and you need a lot of space. And so many of these rural areas, they have all that just sitting there, and it's this right. untapped resource. And you can bring you can bring in something like Bitcoin where um, you're creating a lot of residual benefits, but you're also um, bringing in new economic opportunities mm-hmm. into areas where no one, no one 
no one thinks about something like Bitcoin. Or like industry of the left and right. you repurpose it. Yeah. Like that, there's a ton of that. There's a bunch of examples in Ohio, Texas. Like there, yeah. there's a lot of those examples all over the place. I, yeah. It's not just Mississippi. So we, we in working with Jay and um, trying to bring a little piece of that into Mississippi, we had introduced some legislation at the uh, suggestion of Tyler. We called mm-hmm. him and said, hey, if we were going to introduce three initial bills around Bitcoin, just trying to build a a Bitcoin economy at the state level, what would they be? And so we had a friend of ours who's very experienced, successful lobbyists um, get one of his senator friends to introduce these bills. And it, it kind of blew up in a good way at, mm-hmm. at a very local level. But I think to this day, the Mississippi senator that has had the most retweets and likes on Twitter was um, Senator Harkins, who introduced the initial round of legislation him putting it out there and then it getting picked up by the Bitcoin community. Mm-hmm. But what we found in that process is he introduced the bills. That is like step A of an A right. through Z process. And so we needed support for people to come out and help educate um, the the staff to the extent, but mostly the members and then also the other lobby groups. Because there's some lobby groups that are buying into misinformation. They see mm-hmm. Bitcoin as a threat. And um, so they're immediately going to try to shut it down when we did this initially, it we really didn't have anyone that was willing to come out and help us. So all of that lent itself to then meeting Dennis, talking about how we need the state organization and being ready to go. So Satoshi Action, the purpose is to develop policies that help the growth of Bitcoin um, and not just Bitcoin, how it is today. Like it's going to continue to mm-hmm. innovate and we don't, we don't even know no. the full potential of it. But allowing for that to happen... But having um, a clear path for engagement at this the local and state level so that it can grow, those who are part of it can continue to, can continue to innovate um, and then expand access to the residual benefits. So there's the policymaking component, there's the education and informing component. Um, we always prioritize making this bipartisan. Again, my experience working on climate issues as a Republican in the Trump administration some issues get to a point where they are so entrenched. Mm-hmm. The idea that that something um, s- substantive and helpful will actually come out of any negotiated process, um, it, it it's not great. Right. And so you want to avoid Bitcoin from becoming entrenched. And so we're very careful mm-hmm. to engage with all spectrums of political parties, all spectrums of ideological thought. Um, and bringing them and building a strong coalition of allies that not only understand Bitcoin and what it's doing today, but see the potential and want to make mm-hmm. sure that, um, you know, fear or threat or whatever it may be, a lot of red herring arguments yeah. don't unnecessarily get in the way of it. Right. So, again, more Texas, less New York. Yeah, I, we actually were talking about New York yesterday when we had Marto on here and how I think at this point. El Salvador is a safer investment for Bitcoin related opportunities than New York, which is kind of crazy when you think about <laughs> it. It's it's remarkable, but but that's a reality. And I I noticed when I went to DC with you guys last year, or I guess early this year, whatever it was. Was it I don't even remember now. I don't but remember. Was that last year? I can't I honestly don't yeah, remember. Lot, I, yeah. I think it was this year. But anyway, it is um, December. Yeah. Yeah. So uh um I just realized that was really revealing to me because, again, we do talk in the echo chamber a lot where yeah. we're talking with the same people over and over. And it, this stuff seems so normal and just kind of, you know, everybody knows it. When I got out there, it was really revealing how much they don't know anything about it. And what they do know about it is literally just things they've heard or come from, like, you know, the energy consumption use is the the, the big one that yeah. I think a lot of uh, – I don't know, frankly, those on the left are really hanging on to and kind of paint a bad picture about Bitcoin because of the energy consumption. But it's such a lack of understanding of how that energy consumption can translate into like better quality of life for people all around, not just in the U.S., but people all around the globe. And we're starting to see more countries get more involved with a lot of African countries are starting to do a lot. Obviously, El Salvador and a lot of Central American countries are starting to really look at how implementing Bitcoin into your like economy can benefit them. And then I think when you expand on that and bring mining into it in particular, that's real infrastructure growth potential for a lot of these different areas. But that's why I think what you guys are doing is important because those things 
should be apolitical. They they yeah. they benefit they fit in line with the agenda for people on the left and the right. And so it's like this is something that we really do need to keep uh apolitical and and keep it to where this is truly based on facts and like the benefit that Bitcoin mining brings to people all around the all around the globe. And and we've had uh Marshall Long on here. He was talking about one of the issues or one of the opportunities they've got going on in Africa right now and literally building out grid infrastructure for these you know villages basically where people have not had reliable power and they've only had power for like um, two or three hours a day and so um that's the stories and the rhetoric i think we need to i don't like calling it rhetoric but it's it's true but we need to get out more and, and that's why as much as like a lot of the bitcoin folks don't want to have you know government involved and it's more of this like sovereign libertarian type of street I get which it. i'm t- i'm all about too I think the reality is that regulation will come and that we need to have reasonable, rational regulation rather than just kind of pretending that that's not going to come. I think it's coming regardless. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys have got this organization. So together. you guys, ha- so we, we understand the, the mission. How do, how do you guys go and make that impact in Washington? Is it, is it through, um, I know you guys have the web website and things like that. And we do like the dinners, mm-hmm. uh, which was fantastic. Is it is it a lot of one on one kind of smaller meeting with regulators? Is it hey you're kind of putting together groups of twenty to fifty people and you're trying to educate at scale? Is it content like what does that look like? Yeah, so we I really wish Dennis were here because he is um, he's coming on in March. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. perfect. So he can he can talk all about this. But it's it's we we actually stay out of DC as much as possible. I mean, we just by virtue of my work past and my husband's work past, we've got those connections. Um, and so we work closely with the the digital chamber, um, mostly because a lot of our friends are there um, in terms of what's keeping a pulse of what's going on in DC and engaging when necessary. But we go to state lawmakers. Um, we work with groups like ALEC and you have initial meetings directly. It's usually directly with the member because they don't have staff when you're talking about mm. a state house or, or a Senate yeah. house. Um, it's hosting um, Twitter spaces events. And Dennis is really, really great at leveraging social media Mm -hmm. to bring anyone and everyone in. And the easy thing about this space is people are very curious and they want to know. It's not like we're coming in with something that people have never heard of. They've heard of it. And whether it's good or bad, we're not quite sure, but they've at least heard of it and they're curious. And so Dennis has been really, really great at just reaching out, talking to anyone and everyone. And it really is, it's meeting after meeting. And then a lot of members, if um, if if they see it, they see the potential and they can understand it for whatever their goal may be, whether it's making the grid resilient, returning it to a, mm. a state of resilience, I should say. Um, if, it's, if it's counteracting the intermittency of renewables, if it is addressing orphaned and abandoned mm-hmm. oil wells, or maybe it is that rural revitalization, whatever it is, um, then we have uh, model legislation that we've developed. We don't have all of those pieces covered, but we've got a couple. That I would say that the one furthest along is the abandoned and orphaned oil mm-hmm. wells legislation. And um, we give them that model policy and work with them to the extent they have a team and then figure out how do they introduce and then plot out what's what's going to be the course to getting this across the finish line. And what we've been doing now, since we've launched, we've been we've been starting a startup, which I know mm. both of you are very familiar <laughs> with. But it's a lot of um, letting people know about us, getting the word out. So we've been doing some media engagement, and so I've got a lot of those relationships with Politico and Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal, and then Dennis because of his podcast that he had, um, Smart People Shit, and then it became the <sighs> Dennis Porter Show. Um, he he knows a lot of folks in the Bitcoin space, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a combination of um, earned media and um, getting the word out, meeting with donors and raising funds. I mean, we've really been focused on raising funds, which is why the big dinner we had not too long ago was um, a way to get everyone who's been a part of it to mm. thank them and then keep the growth going. Yeah, uh, that's good. That is good. It was a great dinner too, by the way. I thought you guys did a good mm-hmm. job on that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Drink a lot. 
Drink yeah, I, hey, I mean, yeah, I drank a whole lot actually. Yeah, it was good. That whole week, yeah, that was, yeah, it was. It always rough, helps. It, yeah, it does help. It what does did help. It, you get? Like you get like forty five of like your your closest Bitcoin friends together. I know, in and a place so over like three days. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's then, such a small industry that yeah, I mean, everybody's buddies, and so yeah, you end up partying pretty hard. It feels like oil and gas. Like it really does. Tons. It, it was kind of like it, like yeah, TBC Summit felt like nape. Yeah, it did. Right, like a cooler nape actually. <laughs> Nate, Nate needs some help, in my opinion. <laughs> I know. Just, just saying. But you have you guys been to Nate? I haven't. Is, I bet uh, Dennis has. I so bet. it'd actually not be a bad place for you guys to probably set something up, just because there's so much oil and gas. Like folks that come, mm -hmm. obviously it's a big oil and gas uh, event, but um, it's, it's the most good... prolific upstream oil and gas right, right. event because it's based around deals. Mm -hmm. Like that's where you used to go to like buy or sell oil and gas properties. It's debatable whether that actually happens at the conference, but it is still an excuse for everybody to get away from the wife and kids right, for three right, days right. and go hang out at the Four Seasons. Right. Uh, and then a million different after parties that a lot of the uh, the yeah. members are putting on. It's it's. That sounds great. Good, I mean, fun. yeah, develop those relationships that right. you're going to need to actually well, get those deals done. Yeah. And from and from a aspect of like companies that are looking to get rid of some of their shut in wells or low producers or lo legacy stuff, it's like there's it's a good opportunity. And so, well, that's yeah. good. And and I'll say Dennis has been really good about going to different events and representing Satoshi Action. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're slated for Empower, um, so coming to to speak. And again, it's just this industry. It's it's small. And it's all about developing those meaningful mm. relationships, letting people know what you're doing and inviting them um, or giving them the opportunity to engage to make it better one way or the other. And that's the thing about mm. our model legislation, too. It truly is. It is a template that can be adjusted to deal with whatever the specialized issues are in New Hampshire to Mississippi to Louisiana, all, all the way out west. Mm. Are you guys impact? You mentioned some of the legislation. Are you doing anything with like, I know we briefly talked about it, but like the DCCPA, the Digital um, Commodity Consumer Protection Act, it's the one that uh, there's, it, it got uh, proposed, I think in 2021, but there's been a lot of kind of back and forth on it and amendments and changes to it. Um, there, there was a big issue with whether or not miners were going to be considered like broker dealers on it. Right. And I think that's gotten resolved, but now with the FTX stuff happening and SBF was a big proponent of this bill. Like, do, do you see or have any idea on what's going to happen to that bill now that all this FTX shit has happened? So, so the bill was proposing that miners had to be broker dealers themselves. Well, there was some loose language around it. And I think they've clarified that portion of it to where miners will not be considered like broker dealers from a KYC issue, right? Do you want to, do you want to explain um, really quickly why that's a major headache? Well, yeah. Well, number one, because we there's no way for us to report that. Like yeah. it would have been, there's virtually no way for a minor to, what's, oh, sorry, my bad. Um, there's virtually no way for a minor to be able to accommodate what that language was going to require. And so you would mm. in effect be in violation of this legislation just from the get go because yeah. of how loose the definition was. Um, that I do think has been resolved, but there's, I don't know, there's been a lot of p debate now that I've seen from people that because SB, SBF was so involved with pushing for that legislation and and trying to he was donating a lot to different members that were sponsors of that bill. Right. Um, so I've wanted to see like, is there going to be much change to that bill now that SBF and S FTX has went down and I guess kind of his involvement of it and the viewpoint of it from some of the people on the outside that are still learning about. Well, crypto in general, but Bitcoin in particular, and like, how is this going to get impacted now? Yeah, I think it's certainly complicated the development mm -hmm. of that bill and how long it'll ultimately take to get something mm -hmm. that everyone can agree with and live with across the finish line. And and I'll say this on FTX, what I've told a few folks, because what we've been doing with Satoshi Action is also engaging some of the groups that aren't that aren't directly involved. They are more so now, but the utilities, for example, and some of those associations. Mm -hmm. And so when I met with them, it was literally the week all this broke. And I just said, don't judge the Bitcoin industry on FTX and SBF in the same way you wouldn't judge the entirety of the Texas electricity mm -hmm. system off of Enron. Right. Um, these are fraudsters and fraudsters mm -hmm. exist in every industry. Um, and people are trying to paint a 
paint FTX as representative of the entire industry. Right. And that is the exception. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of good people who've been working on this for a long time. But setting that aside, the federal legislation, it's going to take a long time. Um, and so this is why with Satoshi Action, we're focusing at the state level because we can get yeah. meaningful legislation done in a year, um, mm. if not if not less than that, because most state assemblies don't meet mm. year round. Some do, but some don't. But they're going to come in. They're going it, to. It's just easier to get policies across the finish line. There's less people to to appease or deal with. Right. Um, you can have direct conversations. You could literally sit around a table, bring everyone who may be impacted by a policy or anyone that's concerned about it, have that conversation, and everyone can walk away either understanding what it is and um, be willing to support or be neutral mm. um, is always ideal. And then if they're going to oppose, they're going to oppose. But it's it's smaller. It takes less money, mm. less resources to actually get that stuff across the finish line. So I say all that. We indirectly engage with the federal space because right. because of who we are, who we know, and the fact that people see us as, um, oh, yeah, I've got a friend that does like Bitcoin. Let me call Mandy. She knows something mm -hmm. about this. That's a lot of the conversations I have with staff that's on Capitol Hill saying like, I'm not very familiar with this. I know you're involved some way. Can you give me the 101? I want to ask the dumb mm -hmm. questions, mm -hmm. you know, but people need to ask the dumb questions mm -hmm. to have a baseline understanding. So it's going to take a while. It's going to get more complicated. It's going to be very important for the Bitcoin industry to stand up and, and mm -hmm. say what I just said, which I, I think they have been. But that guy's the exception and he right. doesn't represent who we are and he should not impede the potential for this technology to provide mm -hmm. all the solutions we've already thought about and beyond. Um, so that's going to be very important. That's going to take a long time. And in the meantime, we are going to be building a firewall of really good, thoughtful policies based off of substantive conversations with people in the field who've been doing this for a long time. And whether they're in the field on Bitcoin, on oil and gas, on utilities, um, on economic developers, mm -hmm. whoever it may be, we've talked to those people. We didn't just talk to their representatives, representative in Washington, D.C. at the law firm, right. um, which is you know four degrees removed from getting down to the hard facts and figures you need to build out really good legislation or policies. So we are doing that. And we're, as we say, we're building that firewall against anything um, that could potentially impede or disrupt the growth of this industry coming from Washington, D.C. or some of these federal agencies. Because as the federal agencies develop um, rules and regulations, you know, some of that's going to get challenged. It's going to yeah. get, it's going to get all called up in the legal system. And that takes a long time as well. Mm. And so that unfortunately prevents um, comprehensive certainty from from happening. But um, in the meantime, we're, we have all of these state initiatives um, that are going to be. You got little helpers. Yeah. Sorry, my, <laughs> my, my kids are <laughs> apparently on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, at least it's contained area. Uh, uh, you got padded walls here. Let's yeah. just let them in. <laughs> Just not next to those electrical yeah. <laughs> Um From, and I, I know you guys are doing more on the state level, but from the federal level, what do you think would be the biggest things to, I guess, provide clarity for institutional level money and investors to be coming into the space? Yeah. What's up, dude? Hey. Y'all are obviously not being watched. <laughs> <laughs> This is a really great playground. <laughs> it's okay, yeah, buddy. That's all, right. all right, dude. You're so cute. <laughs> so sorry, guys. <laughs> what a good dude. I hope that was on camera. Though. I hope that was too. That, we, I'm so sorry, guys. That. Seriously. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, I, I, no, it's got to stay in. Everyone, stay in. everyone in this room has young children. Okay, y'all keep going. Let me. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yes, from the federal level, what do you think can help? From clarity standpoint and like whether it be tax legislation or, or clarity on just how kind of how bitcoin will get treated yeah what do you what do you what do you think needs to happen well i think from an investment side that that definition of um what's a security versus what mm -hmm. is a commodity i mean that's very fundamental as to what regulatory space mm -hmm. am i as either an owner or an investor in bitcoin going to be in so i do think that's important a lot of that has worked its way out mm -hmm. and i admittedly haven't paid as closely attention so couldn't read in all the details mm -hmm. but um, on a fundamental level, because so much, it's, an, it's a new industry, so much is about investors being right. willing to invest. Um, I think that's going to be important. I think um, uh, shaking the, the, the reputational damage that mm. SBF has caused, even yeah. though he is an outlier, and we understand that, 
for some people, the only thing they've really heard that they can right. understand about Bitcoin is the FTX SBF situation. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's going to be really important just from a just from a, a reputational perspective. Right. And then the tax side, I wish I wish my husband would come on and talk about it because this is his area he's of more expertise. Than welcome. I know, I know. Like he's just he's super resistant. But um, you know, it's it Bitcoin is double taxed. Um, in a lot of applications, and there's nothing more damaging to the growth of an industry than overly expansive, expensive taxation. Mm -hmm. And I think figuring that out will be really important. And what we're up against in this space, again, I'm repeating things I've ha heard at my kitchen table, um, but it, it's essentially the, the way that the, the IRS and the taxing mechanism is created is to keep these issues in tax court and away from real court because they can um, they can prevent broad sweeping precedent from being set that we as the owners of the of this value actually want. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be this battle to keep everything as sidebar conversations settled with whatever agents working on it, whatever um, subcomponent of mm -hmm. tax court is versus getting it out into the broader courts and then defining defining what is taxable and what isn't um, in the Bitcoin and then larger mm -hmm. cryptocurrency space. Yeah, so I I did see on the on that DCCPA they are defining Bitcoin as a commodity in there. Does that will that clarify things on the tax side at all? If it is defined as that, no, what, no. The the tax experts, I'm like yeah, it, it I'm would it like, wouldn't lie, but uh, no, the tax expert is shaking his head. So I I will say this because I I don't want to get caught saying a lot of things that are totally wrong. Um, <laughs> And I'm not, I have no problem saying a bunch of things that are totally wrong. So. <laughs> but you don't have to deal with uh, yeah, the, yeah. The hus your husband, um, yeah, the Wizard no. of Oz, um, <laughs> calling you out for it. But all that being said, I think um, some degree of clarity and certainty in that space, as with any industry, will be very mm -hmm. important. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're susceptible to the winds of an IRS bureaucrat. Um, and now there's 87,000 new ones coming on board and mm. no one wants them meddling with the growth of this industry. Who was in like, this sounds like a great justified. idea. You know 87,000 more people in the yeah, IRS. We, I, I don't want to get into it because we keep things apolitical. I know. Yeah. I, I have I have lots of thoughts, but mm. I will uh, just tune in to Super Talk Mississippi and I'll tell you what I really think. Okay. It's the conservative statewide radio show. And, uh, well, I'll, speaking I'll of out. Mississippi and statewide, yeah. so you're running for office now. So you're going to go from being behind the scenes with another behind the scenes guy behind <laughs> you to now one of the candidates out there. Yeah. And so yeah. what what office is it? And yeah, tell us. Was there like a Mandy Gunasakara public commissioner website? Yeah, it's Mandy for Mississippi. Okay. Um, we went with that That's because an easy one. Guns remember, for yeah. Gunasakara uh -huh. was going to be a little bit complicated. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, I don't. I never know where to put the E or an A. It's okay. I, it's there's one in there that always throws me off, man. So. I misspell it from time to time myself. Right. Um, you know, right. and uh, we've been married for 13 years. So, um, so Mandy for Mississippi. I'm running for public service commissioner. And this is really important in a lot of ways because the Public Service Commissioner um, has oversight of the utilities. So electricity rates, water, wastewater, the affiliated infrastructure. So Bitcoin related even. Yeah. Very Bitcoin related. And um, also oversight of pipeline safety. We have mm -hmm. a lot of natural gas pipelines that run through Mississippi. And um, the build out of telecom, telecom and broadband. Mm -hmm. So... The fundamentals right. of whether or not your economy is in a position to grow or deal with and be distracted by fundamental problems. And so I'm running for PSC and I'm representing the Northern District, so the, the top third of the state if you were to split it into three districts, um, because this is an area where there is a ton of growth and we have this amazing potential um, in Mississippi, but if you don't have the fundamental right, if, you, if you're not mm -hmm. building your house on rock, you're building it on sand, mm -hmm. you're not going to do well. So I want to make sure we're building everything on rock um, and going up from there. And, and the other piece of this, the personal piece, I'm from Mississippi. I went to D.C. and worked for a couple of years, but coming back and I hear so many people say this. They want to live in Mississippi. I mean, if you're from there, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. It's your family. It's your home. It's just a wonderful, wonderful way of life. But we have not been as successful in in the growth of modern career opportunities. And really to engage in the modern economy, what do you need? Mm -hmm. You need affordable, reliable energy and you need 
broadband or mm -hmm. access to the internet. Energy in the internet is what I say. And so if we can do that, that will make it easier for everyone who's left the state that wants to come mm -hmm. back to find their place back in Mississippi where they can do what they love to do, um, but they can do it in the place that they love as well. Mm -hmm. And so I always say this, Mississippi, we don't have a Huntsville or a Nashville or some of these Southern cities that have really grown up because they've embraced the potential and integrated the potential of a modern economy in their everyday local workings. I'm going to change that. Mm. And uh, we, we've got this great growth in part because we're south of Memphis and there's just a ton of transportation and commerce that occurs there. Um, but I, I really want to amplify that. So there's no longer this brain drain. Mm -hmm. People like my kids grow up and they want to live in Oxford, Mississippi or South mm -hmm. Haven because that is that is the exciting city in the South where they can grow and grow their careers and live out their opportunities, but also be around friends and family and live the way of life that they absolutely love. So I'm running for PSC. Um, and a part of it too, uh, what I've made as a part of my platform is the role of Bitcoin in creating a resilient grid. We that was going to be my next question is, have you made that a platform yeah. issue? Okay. So if you go to my issues, I've got uh, five listed and one of them is innovative grid. And mm -hmm. basically talking about, look, <clears throat> in Mississippi, um, we can we can bring in these new energy technologies. We can bring in renewables where it ultimately mm -hmm. makes sense. But if we're going to do that, then we need to do it smart in a very smart way. And the smartest way is this private sector created amazing technology that levels out not only the energy discrepancies, but also the value investment. Mm -hmm. um, you can you can level out the, the fluctuating load with Bitcoin miners. And then you also are generating value that ultimately I would like to see return to the ratepayers. Mm -hmm. And we've been building out policies, talking to some of the utilities to figure out how we can ultimately do that. Um, but I plan to do that in Mississippi. And I just mm -hmm. think it'll it'll um it'll be extremely beneficial because there's no structural barriers that stand in the way mm -hmm. because Bitcoin miners can go anywhere. Um, and you just, you got to plug them in and you got to connect. Mm -hmm. And so if those fundamentals are taken care of, we can really take off. Yeah. What What is the grid makeup there? Is it mostly like it's natural, mostly gas? natural gas? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly natural gas. So it's reliable. Yeah. yeah. Very reliable. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry. <laughs> although increasingly expensive because yeah. of, um, uh, ideological preferences of the current administration trying to suppress the development mm. of domestic energy resources in the way y'all are familiar with as well. Yeah, we, yes, we are. Um, but it's always good for prices. <laughs> Every time one of them get in, I've told people that for years. I'm like, yeah, it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, prices go up and we'll hire, hire more people. So <laughs> it's, it's not all terrible. But the, but the last thing I'll say about public service commissioner, and this could probably be said, um, there's a degree of political complacency in areas mm -hmm. um, where people have just accepted the status quo. And the person I'm potentially running against has been in office since 2007, promising energy and internet for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, and it hasn't really delivered in the way that is going to be necessary for Mississippi, northern Mississippi mm -hmm. in particular, to really take off. Um, and what I learned in the Trump administration, if you come in, you stay focused on um, your goals, and it's all about implementing that instead of you know creating unnecessary roles or building out bureaucracies or things along those lines, you can um, you can get a lot of stuff done in a relatively short amount of time. And so um, the status quo is no longer acceptable, not even in a place like rural Mississippi. And um, I'm telling people about that, showing them what I can do and how, you know, the rising tides mm -hmm. lift all boats. Mm -hmm. And there's there's certainly a lot of boats that need to be lifted in Mississippi. If they get stuff done, what do they run on next, though? I mean, so you got to kind of perpetuate the problems, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like the, I hate that. Maybe we get rid of them. Uh, hey, there's uh, a good, what, uh, what about that idea? Uh, you know, uh, we thought about that. I'm, you, I'm all good with that. <laughs> I'm all good with that. But yeah, this, I mean, look, this, I, I like what you guys are doing. I, I like Dennis. And I think that, uh, I think that the Satoshi Action Fund is something that we need. I know there's been some other like smaller kind of federal level lobbying groups that have popped up, but. Um, with your guys' backgrounds and and kind of the knowledge base that the people you're bringing in to the Satoshi Action Fund, it's like that's what we need. We we need some good advocates for the industry uh, to help educate the lawmakers. Because yeah, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not a big political person anymore, but man, it can be eye opening when you talk to some of them and just how lost they are. Like Tyler's really important to have yeah. in an office because he's very very knowledgeable on this stuff and. <laughs> 
Um, obviously, Senator Lomas is is big for the whole industry. So, um, we yeah, we need we need more of that, and it's good. So glad well, you guys are doing it. No, it's it's we're excited about it, and um, you know, genuinely passionate about the technology mm-hmm. and what it can do, and then see the potential in all sorts of applications. I will say it's important for folks to understand when they go, whether you're talking to someone in DC or at the state level, mm-hmm. um, the reason they don't know a lot about Bitcoin or understand the fundamentals, it's because they're dealing with everything else in the world at the same time. You know, they're dealing with budgets. They're dealing with, if you're in D.C., they just had to deal with the monstrosity of a $1.7 trillion end-of-the-year spending bill after all of these other issues. And so even when you're going and you're talking to the staffer, let's say you're talking to the telecom staffer, um, or maybe it's the telecom and the ag staffer, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a reflection of they even in D.C., when you're talking to the policy experts, they don't know where this exactly fits in. They're dealing with eight to 10 to 12 other very equally complex substantive issues. And so it's important to find a way to simplify what we're talking about, show why it's important because of the things that they or their boss cares about and how it can make a difference. And what we do is we come in and we try to make that easy. This is what it is. You can trust us as a resource. And if your boss is interested in getting on board with this, here's some sample pieces of legislation that it's not from us. It's not just Mm -hmm. from us. It has the thumbprint and the impact from the people who are in the field and have been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. I agree with that. (laughs) It's good. I think it's needed. And yeah, I'm happy about it. You got any other questions on it? My mind's blown all this politics. Stuff. <laughs> no, it's like a totally different world that I just like don't yeah. understand. I mean, I've um, full disclosure. I have completely stopped watching any politics. I, oh, I hardly watch the news at all. Um, I'm probably getting my my uh, news from sources that are probably not the most reliable all the time. But I get my news pretty much from Instagram yeah, stories at this yeah. point because I deleted Facebook and Twitter and all that. Yeah, so. that's basically what what I do too. And um, but it's it's one of those things where if you stick your head in the sand too long, you pull it out and you're like, holy shit, what's happened? And yeah. so, you know, it's important to have advocates in there that are knowledgeable on the issues and staying in tune and in, in, communicating with minors in particular to yeah. make sure that we're we're getting uh, fair representation and like strong advocates for what we need to happen. Yep. Yeah. Well, energy policy is a big deal. And, it, and the whole world's mm-hmm. seen that right now. Yeah. You know, this is going to be, a, uh, it's going to become a bigger issue over time, too. So, yeah. I was listening the other, I had to do a Fox Business hit the other day where they were talking about the rolling blackouts. And it's really interesting. This is the first time in modern history, I believe. I mean, someone could fact check me, but it makes sense that our grid has become less resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just so crazy. And it shows you that if the wrong policies are implemented, um, for distorted reasons, it has very severe severe and real consequences. And we've been talking about this for mm-hmm. a long time, but now it's playing out. Yeah. Um, you have people doing without power during extreme weather events when they need it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unacceptable. And it is it is a policy choice. It's not because there's a deficiency in the technology. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Bitcoin can solve so many of those problems, mm-hmm. again, from a resiliency perspective, but also from an environmental perspective. We didn't get into that very much, but... Um, No, that's a big deal, though. And that's the part that drives me nuts because it's like this this Bitcoin mining, look at the uh, potential to remove emissions from Mm -hmm. the oil and gas activity. Significant. That should be something that like the left is just applauding and embracing. Um, And that energy consumption should be like, that's a good consumption of energy. That is a good thing on both sides. Nobody should have a problem with that. Same with the uh, renewable like grid infrastructure build out that this, the Bitcoin mining allows people to do and allows them to do it economically instead of through subsidies the whole time. So it's like, these are all real world uh, cases that you can demonstrate the effectiveness of them. You can point to ex- examples of them. I, I've got a client who just closed a deal in Utah, all solar. They'll be buying off the grid when, when at night and whatnot. But um, this solar was completely stranded from any type of, Offtake, at least for the levels that the of of power that it's going to generate. Well, down the line, that likely will be tied into the grid, and it will be supplying the grid. But it wouldn't have been built, and and really, there was no offtake for it, in, uh, other than Bitcoin mining. So, you know, this is it's one of those things that like like this should be studied in a lot more detail from the people that are making these policy decisions. And if they do, and if they're intellectually honest with themselves, 
there's really only benefits that come from this. I, I, there's, I don't yeah. see any negatives that come from any of this stuff. So, yeah, you know, but that's unfortunately not. We're all out we, here doing the Lord's work, man. Yeah, doing I know, it in Mississippi. Man. We're, just, yeah. we're holding down the podcast. Yeah. We got Empower coming back in 23. Right. All kinds of stuff. We're, we're out here just spreading, spreading the, the gospel, news, man. 23 is going to be a really great year. It'd be really cool if Bitcoin's price would blow up again, but that'll happen. Yeah, that'll will. happen. That's actually something this whole SBS stuff is really pointed out. Is like, look, all the Bitcoin that people thought they're getting all the time, like it's a lot harder to get Bitcoin than what you think. You may go buy it on an exchange and you got to sit in there. It's all paper Bitcoin. You don't, it's paper Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's not real Bitcoin. And so um, this in the long run, I think, could really uh, show people how – imperative it is that you take your stuff off of centralized exchanges don't leave them on there because it's not real and um hopefully that is what people start to learn over the next years like yeah okay this is justin rolls right into and this episode is brought to you by ledger i know <laughs> ledger and unchained you know? yeah so I don't, i'll stop but yes uh thank you for coming on mandy we appreciate it thank yeah. you surya for, for hiding me. in the background like a weirdo it's all right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, we yeah. I trust, as we are. I trust yeah. Unchained yeah. with uh, with with my Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Unchained, they're great. I'm, they're not a sponsor of the show. They should be though soon. <laughs> but, but yes, we uh, we are big fans of Unchained. So. I will I will end with this too. If anyone's interested in learning more about my race and my campaign, and when they want to read what I've put up, go to Mandy.ms. Mandy.ms, not yeah. Mandy for Mississippi. Mandy.ms is the website okay. for Mandy for Mississippi. Oh, okay. So you could okay. you could Google that. Don't go to Mandy.com. Yeah, yeah don't go yeah. to Mandy.com. <laughs> okay. I've heard I've heard uh varying degrees of what that may or may not be. Mandy I've never tried Mandy. it with an I. By the way, it's Mandy with a Y. I was just Mandy I've never with tried a y. it with an I. .ms. <laughs> Type carefully. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> oh man. All Thanks, right. Mandy. It's been fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Likewise. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. <laughs>